All right, you got your camera? You got a bag? You ready to go? Jump on in. We're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. So this is April with Eyes for the Road, and today we have special guest photographer, author, workshop leader. I mean, Colleen wears a thousand different hats, but today we're going to talk to Colleen Minnick-Sperry, who's the author and photographer behind Photographing Acadia National Park, the essential guide to when, where, and how. So this is super exciting. So I'm just going to we're going to jump right into it because there's a lot of information and I want to focus today on introducing you to Colleen. If you haven't met her, don't know much about her yet, there's so many different books and workshop leaders out there. Then she's going to transition. We're going to talk about photographing Acadia, a little bit about the book, get into her photography workshops that she offers. And then we always spin around and find out what's in her bag. So we'll hear about what gear Colleen likes to use. And then we'll wrap up with her websites, how you can purchase her book and all of that good stuff. So without further ado, so we can hear from Colleen. Colleen, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us about when you fell in love with the camera and, and a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, first, April, thanks so much for having me on, on your show. I really appreciate it. And hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Colleen Minnex Sperry. Uh, I never intended to become a full-time photographer, uh, but that is exactly what I do now. I, uh, I was a software engineer for Intel Corporation for about 10 years, coming right out of college with a bachelor's of business administration degree with a computer information systems uh, focus. So uh, my path, you know, about 20 years ago was very, very different, very technical, very analytical. And when I got to Intel, it was a great place to work, but I got really stressed out. And in 2001, my mom recognized that I was sort of struggling, you know, balancing like work and life. And she said, you know, I'm calling, I, I checked this intro to photography class out at Chandler Gilbert Community College, which is just a little college down the street from where I live in Chandler, Arizona. And it, you know, I had never picked up a camera before. Like, I had no clue about photography at all. And I said, yeah, you know, this sort of looks interesting. And um, the best part about it is that she handed me the brochure and said, I think it's time for you to get a life. <laughs> um, That's great. Which is, you know, what mothers are good for, bless her soul. So, you know, I went into class that first day, and I actually still can remember you know, sitting in class and writing notes and being like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing I have ever, like, done. This is so fun. It was a blend of creativity. It was a blend of technical. Like, it was it was really appealing to my, my brain and my personality. So I took five semesters, not the same one, uh, five semesters of uh, community college classes for photography, all black and white traditional development, and I decided to um, try color slide film. Oh, wow. Uh, and I went on my first Arizona Highways photography workshop in 2003, 2003, September. Yeah, 2003. And I fell in love with color then. So by 2006, I, I had 
started selling my work at local art shows. I was doing some magazine work. I was getting publications. I was just sort of playing around with what I could do with photography and, you know, whether or not I could sell my work. And it started going really, really well, well enough where I was sort of starting to have two full-time jobs. Um, you know, my work at Intel and all of the fun that I was having with photography and like sort of starting a business um, unintentionally. And then by 2007, I, I just had had enough with corporate America. So I walked out on February 28th, 2007, a day that I celebrate like my personal independence day. I celebrate it like my birthday. Oh, that's great. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of uh, <laughs> kind of stumbled <laughs> from there. Wonderful. So photographing Acadia, how did that, I mean, when did you discover Acadia National Park? I mean, there's a lot of national parks in our park system, but, you know, Acadia is way north in Maine. It's not one of the, probably the most, you know, you know, Yosemite, Yellowstone, those are some of the big ones, but what originally drew you to Acadia? Yeah, sure. I, as I was starting to build my photography business in Arizona, I started finding myself sort of becoming bored. Um, I was largely photographing the icons because that was what was selling um, in the desert southwest. But I was, it was sort of getting bo- bored with the whole thing. And I felt like I needed a creative jolt. So sort of... Um, I, I I just happened to run across a guy on Lake Powell on a trip who had just finished an artisan residence program with Petrified Forest. And I thought, wow, oh, I, don't, interesting. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. So it's like sort of worlds colliding and the universe sort of speaking to you and all that stuff. So, yeah. And so I went home and immediately Googled artisan residence program for NPS and it, or National Park Service. And it turns out that there were about 25, 30 parks that were offering this program. And so I looked at the list of the different parks that uh, were offering it at that time. And at the very top of the list was this place that I had never heard of called Acadia National Park. And when I looked it up, I, I, I was like, wow, I mean, that's incredible. Um, I, I, I thought it looked like Oregon, which was yeah, yeah, one of the... my most favorite places to photograph. Um, and so I went through the list and I, I just, on a whim, I was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and apply for this. And, you know, you just send in six photos or eight photos, a portfolio, personal statement, you know, some student and public program uh, ideas. And so I, you know, I, I, I got lucky. Um, I got picked on the first try. That's I, great. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I know, right? How, how fabulous is that? Um, when I went, I went at an odd time just because my schedule wouldn't allow for me to go in like the high time and peak time, like fall color, like in October um, or even during the summer. And so I ended up going on my first visit to this beautiful place in November. Oh, wow. And there was nobody there and the light was gorgeous. And I it just... I fell in love. So I applied again. (laughs) And I applied again. Um, So I went back a year later. I saw in fall color in October. And then I was selected as the park's first winter artisan residence um, in January, February, I think of 13, 12 or 13. I can never remember. So how long were you like living then, quote, in you were living then in the park, they put you up in the park for these artists and residence programs? Yeah, so for the artisan residence program, what they do is in exchange um, for donating a print, in exchange for donating your time in a public or student program, uh, they provide, most parks provide about 
two to three weeks of housing for Acadia. It was three weeks on my first residency, three weeks for the second, and then four weeks on the third. Oh, fabulous. It's a wonderful program. It was, it for me, it transformed me, gave me the opportunity, the space, um, the gorgeous landscape, of course, gave me the opportunity to really transform my photography and my approach from someone who liked to take pictures of pretty things into what I would consider myself now more of a creative visual artist in pursuit of more meaningful, a little bit more personal visual expressions as opposed to just... Right, the iconic shots, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. on your website, I really enjoy some of the new fine art stuff that you did. And some of that was done in Acadia. Yes. The roundup from 2016, you had a lot of really unique images. Yeah, and I I think, you know, since that, especially that winter residency, um, I I feel like my work has really changed. Um, You know, it was 2013. Since 2013, I've, I've really shifted from going out at sunrise and sunset, sort of routine, where I constantly use my 16 millimeter lens, which I'm sort of addicted to, and you know, using a three-stop graduated neutral density filter and using beautiful lines and foreground and things like that, you know, that just sort of got really repetitive. And, and you know, when you stand in front of beautiful things like Acadia, like as long as you have your lens cap off and your camera turned on, generally you're going to get a decent photograph. Right. Um, for me, in that in that sort of transition in, th- in winter of 2013, when I realized that that was not exactly how I wanted to do photography, I wanted to be more creative. Um, I-, I feel like my work has shifted in, in to more introspection, um, connecting with the landscape in a, in a unique way, no matter where I go, no matter what the light looks like, like you can, s- I've, I've shifted from focusing on the external Mm-hmm. Uh, conditions and have been focusing more on, you know, what kind of creative juice can I bring to any situation um, wherever I find myself out there for photography. So oh, that's fabulous. It's, a, it, it's made photography so much more fun. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it gives you a new direction after you've kind of hit the highlights. So when was the book idea? When did you spawn that idea for photographing Acadia? Because that's an excellent guide for anyone who hasn't grabbed it and you're planning to go to Maine, I highly recommend this guide. I mean, it's very (laughs) thorough. (laughs) Was that on your first residency that you kind of got that idea or? In a way, yes. So I also do a lot of writing. Um, I have other guidebooks out there um, with Wild in Arizona, photographing Arizona wildflowers, and that was a tremendous success. Um, that was sort of happening about the time I was in Acadia, but when I first applied for the first residency, I said I wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was going to be more of a travel adventure story um, about sort of being, you know, a desert rat from Arizona, going to Maine and trying to figure out like what this place was. Right. And I, it was it was in my winter uh, residency that I felt like I wanted to basically run up to the top of Cadillac Mountain and scream to everybody, <laughs> come visit Acadia. You have to come visit Acadia. Um, and that's when the idea of the guidebook came together. A lot of those travel advent- the travel adventure aspects of it, I actually included in the book. They're in, they're the, um, they're, di- they're different stories that I have. Um, you know, I have like making the photo um, stories and that's, 
that was maybe where the original idea stood. Um, so I didn't necessarily lose that, but I sort of expanded it into, uh, you know, a, a resource for people who've been, who haven't been to the park, you know, how to get started. And for those who've maybe been, you know, 10, 15 times, um, or more like I do when you get right. addicted. Yeah. Some ideas for getting off the beaten path. So, um, it's, you know, I don't want it to be necessarily a guide in the sense of a checklist or these are the things you must do, but rather just here's some ideas to get the creative juices flowing. Um, here's some of my favorite places. Um, this is sort of, you know, my invitation to everybody to, to come see Acadia. <laughs> <laughs> a 200 and, you know, 24 <laughs> page. Yeah, invitation. it's a big guide. I mean, it's got a, it's packed with information. I mean, you've got times, you've got, you know, what, you know, and even the seasons. How would you say the seasons? Because a lot of us probably don't even think about visiting some of these places in winter. We're like, winter, you know, that's, that's cold and... <laughs> you know, desolate. And (laughs) I remember, I remember I was about two and a half weeks into my winter residency and I literally had not seen anyone except a few locals in the park. And finally I was at Thompson Island photographing sunset and I turn around and there's, I think there were three or four people with cameras right behind me. And I turned around and I said, Hey, what are you guys doing? Here? Don't you know it's cold in Acadia this time of year? You know, yeah. kind of joking around, and and the one guy, you know, he said after we sort of had you know greetings and whatnot, he goes, you know, we go to Yellowstone in the winter, we go to Yosemite, you know, we yeah. go to these other big places. Why not Acadia? And I said, that's it, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, Acadia is not a place that people associate with winter. Um, but it is for me. It's one of one of the best seasons. I guess there's really no bad time to be in Acadia. I mean, every season changes. Every season brings a new, you know, discovery and and new beauty. But um, you so know, is the winter- park though in general open in winter? You know, and accessible to people. Other than I- like if you're hiking in, you know, we're talking. You know, can you still drive your car in? I mean, I'm I'm not sure. Like, do they get a lot of snow? Talk to us about that. Yeah, they do get they do get a bit of snow. Uh, they get some nor'easters. They get blizzards and and whatnot. But um, you know, it can also be very dry. It's a coastal environment, so weather can change very very quickly. Uh, the entire park is not open. Um, places like Cadillac Mountain are going to be closed. Your your access to places like Bubble Pond are going to be limited unless you snowshoe. Um, but you can still drive Ocean Drive, um, part of that, that loop mm-hmm. road. Scudic Peninsula is still open. Uh, Eagle Lake, Jordan Pond. There's quite a bit that's still accessible even in the winter. Uh, and uh, yeah, even with a little bit of effort, even with the places that are, you know, are are closed to vehicular traffic, you can still get on snowshoes and and still have a magical experience. I've uh, this after my winter residency, I went back for another three or four weeks the following winter, and I ended up snowshoeing to the top of Cadillac Mountain. Oh wow! So it's, it's about an eight and a half nine mile round trip, um, and it, it was pretty <laughs> tough. Um, but when I got to the top, I saw snowy owls, which I had never seen before. I saw, you know, a parking lot of 
ice bubbles, which for those people who know me, I completely lost my mind over the ice bubbles. Um, I just love bubbles. So. Yeah, the bubble images you have are, <laughs> I mean, they're incredible. And it's just, it's eye catching. And, and it, it's something in the details that people don't always, you know, they look at the big picture up here, the big landscape. And then sometimes we lose these amazing images that are just down at our feet, so to speak. Yeah, it's certainly, I, I, I'm not exactly sure where the bubble um, obsession <laughs> came from, but it's certainly a, a passion. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, in a place like Acadia or even any national park, you know, the scenery is so beautiful and it can be so overwhelming. But if you just take a second to slow down um, and really be mindful of of what what are the little pieces that make up this whole like what is it about Acadia for example that you know gets me personally excited about it for me it's, you know the bubbles the ice the fleeting the fleeting light you know in fall it's the colors in spring and summer it's the flowers I mean it's just yeah it's the little the little joy in the little things I would right. say yeah so for our photographers out there a lot of us are still working full-time jobs so sometimes we only get a week so if you only had a week do you think that'd be enough time to really get some good photographs in Acadia or can you do it in a couple days or what kind of timeline would you suggest to a photographer heading out that way <laughs> certainly I'll encourage you to spend as much possible time uh as much time as possible out there you know I've I've been there you know probably over 300 400 days now since that first residency and I still can't get enough so if all of the time that you have is a half day or a day, um, you know, just sort of get acquainted with the park, maybe, um, you know, hit some of the, the classic scenes. They're beautiful. They're be they're iconic for a reason. Um, so get started with that. But I, if you have a week, certainly you, you'd have plenty of time to, to look around. You can chase the light. You can, you know, sit along the shoreline and listen to the loons and you can listen to the, you know, leaves rustling and you can look for bubbles. And yeah, it, having more time is going to allow you to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Wonderful. Summer tends to be busy. Do you have any suggestions for people if they do happen to only be able to go in the summer, let's say? Yeah. So the best thing is to get up as early as possible. So sunrise tends to be less busy. Um, Cadillac Mountain at sunrise is always going to be busy because from October to March, it's the first place that you can see uh, the sunrise in the continental United States. So, and people want to go up there and see the sunrise, even in other months. So places like Cadillac Mountain are going to be super busy. So you're going to want to go very, very early. Right. Uh, even on Ocean Drive, if you're there at sunrise, you can actually get some places you can actually be by yourself um, or just be with a few others. Um, the other is to hike, you know, a half mile off of the main the main drag. A lot of the tourists on, on the bus tours and things like that um, from the cruise ships, they're not they don't have the time to get off the beaten path. So if you go uh, up the trail a half a mile, generally you're going to have uh, a little bit more solitude. And then the third recommendation is to visit off the beaten path places, you know, places like, you know, Hunter's Beach, Little Hunter's Beach, even the Scudic Peninsula, Pretty Marsh, places that are, are probably more familiar to the locals, but aren't on, you know, the cruise ship schedule, bus schedule. Right. Um, yeah, and on, for those who have, have the book, I have this um, list on page 208. 
the the top 10 classic locations like Sand Beach, Thunder Hole, Eagle Lake, Cadillac Mountain, those places are going to be super busy. But if you want to get off the beaten path, places like, like I said, Little Hunter's Beach, Gorham Mountain is a great alternative to Cadillac Mountain. There's Bar Island. There's, you know, Little Long Pond. There's other places in that area that offer beautiful photographic opportunities, but you're just not going to be surrounded by so many crowds. Oh, that's excellent. And that's excellent suggestions. Because a lot of I think a lot of times photographers, we tend to be have a little bit of an introverted personality. So sometimes I mean, I've actually been with a couple of photographers in um, Vermont, say in the fall, and you get them somewhere and they just shut down. If there's too many people, they're just their brain shuts down. And I kind of get that. And there are but there's, you know, there's photographers that are still working, have families, and their only time to really get out to these places is summer. So you've offered some excellent suggestions. And and that's understandable. Yeah. And, and, you know, in those situations, you just, you do the best you can. You know, we have times where, you know, people walk into the shot and whatnot. It's just like, okay, well, it's just an (laughs) opportunity, opportunity to showcase your creativity um, and your problem solving skills. So yeah, it's, it's just, you work with the hand that you're dealt and, and do the best you can. Excellent. So I want to move into talking about, you offer a variety of different types of workshops. I do. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us about some of your, I know some of your upcoming workshops are booked, but you'll probably offer them again next year. And you just were in the Grand Canyon. So go through the workshops. (laughs) I'm I'm excited to hear about these. Well, I I see, I love teaching as much as making my own work. So um, I really love um, the photography workshops. I love the people that I get to meet and work with on them all. Uh, A lot of my workshops are going to be a little bit more what I would call experience or adventure based. So like you mentioned, the Grand Canyon, we were just rafting the Grand Canyon for uh, seven days, uh, six nights with a women's photography workshop or retreat, which is, um, I love leading those. And it was, it was an opportunity to have an adventure and bring our cameras with us to make beautiful images along the way, sort of telling our story of our own journey. So um, I do offer workshops like that. I obviously offer workshops in Acadia. Um, I have two upcoming workshops in autumn, which are both sold out right now. I have a wait list available if anyone is interested. Um, And then I have winter in Acadia, which I I usually run in February. Um, And I haven't quite announced that yet to the public, but if you check the website, that should be out shortly. So what kind of um, skill level would you say you'd need to be part of, say, the rafting? I mean, that's that's exciting, but um, you know what? Yeah, so I I welcome everybody, um, anyone from they've never taken the camera out of the box and they're just curious about photography to professionals who are advanced and, you know, they simply want to continue perfecting their skills and get new ideas. Um, I, I, I basically, we can handle all, all levels and welcome all walks of life. Um, with the with the more adventurous ones like the Grand Canyon rafting, um, obviously being in a little bit better physical condition helps. Um, but we had women who had never camped before, and it was an opportunity oh, wow. for them to sort of get out of their comfort zone and, and try new things. And I, I think that's maybe where my workshops are a little bit different. You know, I have workshops to Death Valley Plan, Oregon, Acadia, you know, Lake Powell, uh, things like that. Um, but what I'm, I, I, and I want to teach photography. I want to, I want to help others sort of progress 
wherever they may be in their their photographic journey, but I also want to get people out of their comfort zone. I want them to connect with nature in a in their own individual way. And you know, since we're all in different places, everybody's going to have a different answer, and they're all right answers. And so, for me as an instructor, it's I feel like I it's up to me to sort of bring out bring out that adventurous spirit in people, or, or at least encourage yeah. it. No, uh, that's great. So yeah, yeah. So, um, not fun. <laughs> <laughs> how big are your workshops? Do you have a limit on size or? I, yeah, I started to do my own workshops this year and I've, I've kept the sizes small. So they're usually in between six and 10, uh, for the grand Canyon rafting workshop. Uh, we take 15 because of the boat, mm-hmm. um, requirements. Uh, but most of my workshops are going to be in between six and 10 people, uh, to get, to enable personal attention. And most of your time is spent out in the field or you do also, you know, some workshops you see that they offer, you know, they help talk about Photoshop and stuff like that too. So I generally focus on field, field-based sessions. We do some presentations. So there'll be a little bit of classroom time, uh, interactive sessions, and then we have uh, critique sessions as well. Yeah, sometimes we do little impromptu post-processing. I, I got to be honest, I don't do an immense amount of post-processing. I mean, I do do some, um, but it's definitely not where I like to spend my time. I, I've i spent 10 years behind a computer, and so I would, uh, I'd rather be out rolling in dirt and playing with my camera than, <laughs> than sitting um, and trying you're, to... You're, you're, so. you're totally speaking to the choir here. That's exactly my <laughs> oh, thinking. Awesome. Yeah, when I, and I tell people, it's like, when we go, we're going to spend our full day outside. It doesn't matter, like you said, you're, you know, you're going to be outside and experiencing the area and and work with that right exactly (laughs) so what do you think sets your workshops apart I mean there's a lot of different photography tours and photography workshops I mean you start googling there a lot of stuff comes up yeah and there and there are some amazing instructors out there um, who are going to some beautiful places and I would encourage folks to try different photographers to get different ideas Um, I, I think there's maybe a couple of things that set mine apart. One, I, I try to make it as safe and supportive an, of an environment as possible so that people feel comfortable to experiment um, and screw up with intention. So I feel like if you're not pushing things, you're probably not growing. So I, I do a lot of exercises, creative exercises, to try and get people a little bit out of their comfort zone. So we do mindfulness we do haikus. Um, we do some weird, uh, quote, weird stuff. For me, it's completely normal. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do stuff that may not necessarily be, you know, camera in hand, clicking shutter kind of things. Yeah. And, and it's because I'm trying to um, bring out the inner, sort of the inner beauty and the inner personality of people and trying to make individual connections with the external environment. Um, you know, we, I, I do try to get people in the right place at the right time. We do chase light, things like that. But my process is not so dependent on that. Um, I, I like to encourage that no matter where we go, we can make a beautiful photograph if we're relying upon our inner, our inner skills and our inner knowledge. So I, I, I might be different in the sense that instead of, you know, trying to quote, nail the beautiful sunset every time, I'm more 
more focused on, you know, building the photography skill base, technical, that technical foundation, and then exploring, you know, how do we become more creative with our visual expressions? How do we, how do we get more um, from our photographic experience than just simply a, you know, picture that says I was here. Right. Um, So I think that that's a little bit different. Um, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's experience and adventure first, then the photo, the photographs happen second. And those are sort of the, you know, whipped cream on the ice cream sundae, if you will, to the already amazing experiences that we're, we're having. Right. Um, I do offer women's only workshops, which have been um, just a blast. I've been offering that since 2011 after learning that, after seeing that women learn differently when they're in a, amongst their tribe, if you will. So uh, I'm going to probably start expanding that. I have a, a new sort of brand that I'm working on called Sheography. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, I'm going to probably do two or three. I've been doing one a year. I'll probably do two or three, maybe more women's um, photography workshops and retreats uh, starting next year. So I'm very excited about oh, that's that. That's really exciting. So people yeah. should really jump on and and join your uh, mailing list if they want to be notified of those? Definitely. If you go to my website, it's www.cms-photo.com. There's a link that says newsletter. If you click that and you sign up for the newsletter, which is I try to send out about quarterly-ish on good days. um, Yeah, that'll be uh, one of the first places that you'll hear uh, of those of those announcements. I I announced to my my community before I send to the public just because they they fill up so fast. That's great. That's good. I mean, that's great for you. It's awesome. I know. Yeah. So now it's just where where to next. So where do you think can you share maybe where some of these new workshops may be taking people? Yeah, you bet. So next year I have Death Valley um, in January, uh, going into February. I have, um, and that's going to be a women's photography retreat. I have Winter in Acadia, which is going to be February, I think the third week of February. I have Wild About Wildflowers and Macro Photography, which I co-lead with my uh, good buddy and co-author, Paul Gill. Amazing, amazing photographer. Um, And that's in March here in Arizona. And then we have, let's see, uh, Grand Canyon Rafting, which will be a co-ed workshop next year, uh, a retreat next year in September. And then Autumn in Acadia for October. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to sneak a Lake Powell women's retreat in there, somewhere in there. And I'm also trying to get an Oregon Coast women's Mm. retreat and an Oregon Coast co-ed trip for May. And I'm still working on those two, so. Oh, that sounds excellent. That's yeah. fabulous. So um, moving on from the photography workshops, which sound all sound really exciting and interesting. <laughs> let's fun, chat about fun. what's in your bag. So what's in your photography bag? Well, so it, it's it sort of changed. Uh, last year I was shooting Canon Mark uh, Canon 5D Mark IIs, and I picked up a Panasonic GX8, a, a Lumex GX8. Uh, it was mainly I wanted something lighter and sort of more compact for my stand-up paddleboarding adventures. And uh, it turns out that I loved this Panasonic so much that I actually haven't shot the Canon since last oh, year. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Except for one time when I was shooting burrowing owls with a friend of mine. So <laughs> I, 
so I have a Panasonic GX8 right now. And that's one of the mirrorless ones, right? It's a mirrorless. Yeah, it is super awesome because it's so small. I, I basically went from a 45 pound pack down to like, you know, um, like seven, eight pounds. Of, it's just, it's tiny. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. So I have that. I have three lenses with it. It was Olympus lenses. So I have a seven to 14 millimeter, which is a 14 to 28 equivalent. Um, I have a 14 to 150, which is a 28 to 300 millimeter equivalent. And I picked up a 60 millimeter macro, which is a 120 macro equivalent. Uh, I got a couple of extension tubes, polarizer, um, I use Singray filters, so graduated neutral density filters, polarizers, uh, neutral density filter. Uh, let's see, what else? Cable release, of course. Gotta right. have the tripod. Gotta right. have the tripod. <laughs> I have a Hoodman hood loop, which is very, very useful um, for seeing my image in the back of the frame um, when it's really, really bright and sunny out. I think that's a neat little yeah, accessory. Yeah, those, those are excellent. And... And and for wildflower photography, I always carry my Wimberley plant. What? <laughs> you... oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's a it's a plant clamp. So it's sort of this long, sort of flexible um, snake-like stick kind uh-huh. of thing, I guess. And and one end attaches to your tripod, and one end to one the other end sort of gently attaches to. Uh, your object in my case it's a flower and it what it does is it's that that plamp is rigid enough where you can sort of position it right and the flower doesn't move and in and in Arizona we get a lot of wind in the spring and so it could just be tremendously frustrating um to f- try and photograph a flower especially if you're doing macros so the plant you position right outside of your frame and it'll keep the f- the flower nice and still so oh my gosh <laughs> so are those something that people can buy online i have you're you're the first person i've actually heard of this plant thing <laughs> yeah if you go to wimberley um and if let me see if i can dig up the the exact uh, it's made by wimberley well, we can include that and we'll definitely, I always include show notes. So we'll have a list of, you know, the type of gear that you like, your website oh. and like how to find this plant clamp, which, and I'm sure that'll be demonstrated in your wildflower workshop as well. Yep. We, we use those a lot in our wildflower workshop. Yeah. So the, the website is uh, www.tripodhead.com. It's Wimberly um, is the company and they, it's called a plant. Wonderful. So when you're rafting down the Grand Canyon, what kind of gear would you need for that? Oh, you yeah, you strip things down tremendously. Um, you know, with the weight restrictions, we get helicoptered out and then we take a small plane back to our original destination. So they, they require us to strip everything down to 25 pounds or less. We get a little bit of a leeway with the tripod. So um, it's... Um, I, I went down with all three of my lenses. My kit is, like I said, super tiny. Um, I went down with a polarizer. I did one graduated neutral density filter, which is a three-stop, uh, a bunch of backup batteries. They do have charging. Our, our guides have batteries we can charge every, uh, pretty much every night. Um, you know, depending on the group size, we sort of alternate it. But you do have a chance to, to oh, that's good. Yeah. charge, which is really nice. You know, you got a lot of memory cards. It's, you know you're going to be shooting thousands of images down there. 
Um, I didn't have, my camera's not waterproof and I didn't buy a waterproof casing. I have a GoPro and I take a lot of video um, and can do some stills that way as well. So that was one additional thing that I brought with me down the, down the river. Oh, that's smart. What did some of the other participants bring then? Did they bring cameras? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had DSLRs. We had mirrorless. We had GoPros. Yeah. We had, we had lots of (laughs) (laughs) tripods, you know, strapped into big military bags and yeah, we, um, you know, and we were provided with um, dry bags. So what we did is we would shoot, we, if we were rafting, it's a motorized trip. So when you're rafting on flat water, you can shoot anytime you want. So we would have the cameras out and we would be photographing as we're motoring along the river. Uh, and then when we would start approaching rapids, uh, you know, our guides would tell us, you know, it's probably time to put the cameras away. So we would just quickly slip our cameras into the dry bag, roll them up, go through the rapids, dry off and oh do everything else. Again. <laughs> and then, you know, when we got off on shore, if, you know, we had some, we had a lot of hikes, we had some, you know, different day, you know, day excursions. We were able to bring the tripods and, and slow water down, for example, waterfalls, so uh, slow shutter speeds uh, with the tri- benefit of the tripod, things like that. So, yeah, it was it's uh, it's a it's a hoop. So, yeah. And I'm sure some really unique images, too, for your participants. Oh, yeah. It's it's really it truly is a once in a lifetime experience. Um, I'm addicted to it. So I'm just going to keep going down <laughs> as much as they'll let me. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, you shared with us um, about your upcoming workshops, and I know you're working on a few other books as well, or you have some other books out there if you want to share where people can pick up some of your photography guides. Yeah, so I have um, another book called Wild in Arizona, Photographing Arizona Wildflowers, which is very similar to the uh, Acadia National Park book. It just is for, it's just specific to Arizona and our wildflower season, which runs from about February, which seems early, but it's it's hot in the desert, uh, from February all the way through the end of September. Uh, We recently published, I published, I didn't photograph and author it, but I published as the publisher, Wild in Arizona, Photographing Arizona Wildlife. Um, And it was authored by Bruce Talbert. So if people are excited about photographing wildlife in Arizona, all over the state, uh, that's another great guidebook. Again, in the same vein as as my other two guidebooks. Um, The one I'm working on right now is a book called Going with the Flow. And it's part memoir, part um, travel adventure story. Uh, I had some life changes happen a a few years ago, um, right before my 14th wedding anniversary and right before my 40th birthday. And so life life sort of took a left-hand turn for me and I decided that I wanted to stand up paddleboard the length of Lake Powell, which oh is 141 <laughs> miles. Uh, it's, uh, it's a long story, but it's in the book. So, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I decided to do that and my mom decided that she wanted to do it with me. So we did some, you know, a number of training runs, things like that. We ended up going, we, we did our trip in November, 2015 uh, it was supposed to take 14 days, and we came into a, a very horrific situation, storm situation, unexpectedly, um, where we both sort of feared for our lives, and on day four. Oh, wow. And so we were caught in a place called Forgotten Canyon. Um, we had sort of taken refuge there after about two or three hours of just complete hell of battling four to foot, four to five foot swells, um, you know, getting slammed up against a wall. Oh, my and gosh. 
anyway, the short of it is, is that we, um, we saw a boat come into our canyon and it happened to be a ranger. And he told us that there were two additional storms behind the one that we had gotten caught in and that conditions were going to get worse, not better in the next week or so. So we decided to call the trip early. And for someone who had had 40 years of accomplishment and based my whole life off achievement, um, that was a very difficult thing. And so uh, the book sort of talks about, you know, what my journey was up until, you know, my 40th birthday and, and my life situation changing and how I sort of coped with it going on Lake Powell and how that didn't quite go according to plan <laughs> um, and how much and how much the the experience enriched my life and, and really changed my life for the better. So um, it truly is, you know, going with the flow. So what, that's a, what a story. I mean, <laughs> my heart's already like beating. I want to <laughs> I want to well, read about it. <laughs> I, I just got some really great feedback from my editor. I was a little bit stuck on chapter two and three, and he helped me through it. And so I'm fingers crossed. I think I'm going to finish the next draft by the end of this weekend. And so it's going to go back to the editor. I'm hoping I can get it out this year. So I have I have five or six other books that I really want to work <laughs> on. I have a book about visualization that I'm going to partner with with my buddy Guy Tall. I have Photographing Arizona Fall Color, which I'm going to partner with my great buddy, Paul Gill. Oh, wow. Uh, lots of adventure story things that I might want to get into. So, yeah, lots of lots of writing and photography on the horizon for me, for sure. That's, very, very exciting. Yeah, that's fabulous. <laughs> so you have a definite passion for the outdoors and the United States. So what places um, are on your you know, next see, next photographing list, per, you know, just even personally that you haven't explored in the United States. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> um, you know, I have, I, I am going to have, you know, trips back to Oregon, Utah, Acadia. Those are some of my, you know, Lake Powell. Those are some of my favorite places, but um, I, I would, I would love to see, um, Isle Royal, which is in Michigan. If I could ever get there, I've heard that it's very similar to Acadia. Um, so it's been a, it's been sort of a recommendation from, from those who know both, uh, for me to go check that out. Um, I would love anywhere with ice. So like Alaska glaciers, um, I, Greenland apparently has more <laughs> ice than Iceland. So Greenland, I would love to go to Antarctica. Um, but yeah, it, right now I'm pretty fired up with... Well, yeah, the, you've got a lot of workshops coming the up. Workshop, yeah, the workshop locations really um, are where I'm most passionate about. And I mean, I, I certainly have some exploring to do on my own. Um, and you never know where that's going to take you. So Right. And in regards to that, a lot of times I get asked, how much scouting do you do for your workshops? Well, I don't, if I haven't been to a place where I don't know it very well, generally I'm not going to lead a photography workshop there. Um, the only maybe exception to that was the Grand Canyon rafting where I had been down once and I just was so passionate about bringing people back down to the canyon. Um, I just, I, I had to, I had to do it. So most of the time I know the, I'm very familiar with the area, but again, with the focus on internal you know, more of the internal creativity versus, you know, let's go stand in front of a beautiful scene and make great pictures of it. Um, I could pretty much go anywhere and make something happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of scouting at home using photographers ephemeris. 
Um, so I do, it's a, it's a application that you can look on like a Google map and it'll show the sunrise, sunset, sort of the light. I do a lot of scouting with Google Earth. There's a sunlight feature. Um, you click on and it simulates the light throughout the day at a particular location. Oh, so wow. That's I an do, interesting tool. Oh, yeah. It, oh, it's fabulous. It's similar to the Photographer's Ephemeris, but it's a little bit more of a topographical view. Um, it's a, You can get into a more three-dimensional view of the landscape. And for me, it's just really helpful to sort of visualize light. Um, both of those can be very addicting. So if oh. you're sitting at your desk in your office, um, I, yeah, I can play with those for hours. <laughs> um, but I, I also do a lot of reading, and I don't not necessarily um, guidebook reading, which I do for ideas, but also just what have people experienced in that place? Um, you know, how have they, you know, sort of personalized their experience there? And so I, I read a lot uh, about the locations that I go to. So Fabulous. Yeah. Oh, so. I know I could keep talking to you for hours <laughs> and hours, but I want to wrap it up today. So yep. thank you so much, Colleen. And please, if you want to um, tell people your websites again, where they can follow you or see your images, sign up for any of these fabulous workshops. They sound very exciting. And oh. Go ahead. Definitely. So, yeah, my home base is going to be www.cms-photo.com. I'm on Facebook. We can be friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, CMS Photo, CMS Photography, Colleen Minnix-Ferry. Um, but all of that you can get from my website. You can sign up for the newsletters. You can check out the workshops. And, uh, yeah, I would I would love to help uh, others experience, you know, the great outdoors and help you with your photography journey and and hopefully, you know, this conversation has helped. And I, I just really appreciate uh, you putting this together for for me, for us, April. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Colleen. I, mean, I really enjoyed speaking with you. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show again just to focus on Arizona alone. I mean, it sounds yeah. like there's a lot just to <laughs> share to people. You know, I don't think a lot of people, and there's several places like that throughout the United States, but... Yeah. Arizona has got to be a topic for another podcast. So thank you again Definitely. so much, Colleen. Yep. Thanks for your time. Thank and you. hope everyone will check out my other podcasts on Eyes for the Road. Thanks, Colleen. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye.